And you are dismissed, everybody. We'll see you next weekend. That's all I needed right there. Well, my name is Ryland Walter. Uh, this is my first sermon as your pastor. I just want to introduce myself to you today because even though, uh, even though I have been here a long time, I didn't uh, want to assume that we knew each other. So I grew up in the Midwest, mostly here in Kansas City. Uh, my wife, Lauren, also grew up in Kansas City. And uh, she uh, went to Mizzou for nursing school. She's charge nurse over at uh, Children's Mercy Kansas. And it's my son Landry, almost eight months old. He loves spatulas right now. And uh, you'll hear about, uh, more about our story and our life um, in the coming months because I don't want to burn up all my stories and illustrations right now. So uh, you can stick around for that. But uh, as I walk up here to preach this weekend, I just have one thought going through my mind. And that is I am standing on someone else's sacrifice, and uh, just to see Pastor Kelly's, Kelly's life up close, and to see his integrity, and to see his heart, and to see his desire to build um, a place and a community where everyone is welcomed, and that we could grow to be more like Christ is absolutely amazing. So come on, give him the best hand clap. Yes, thank you, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, so next weekend, we begin the much-anticipated You Asked For It series. We did this uh, last year, but we took the information um, that we got uh, from the Easter survey that we did, if you can remember back to that, and uh, created a sermon series called You Asked For It, where we answer your questions. The questions are, how do I deal uh, with difficult people? Do we have this? Uh, the series and the uh, titles. How do I deal with difficult people? How do I handle stress? How do I share my faith? How do I forgive? How do I build strong family relationships and how do I change? Sound good, everybody? I'm really, my goal is just to really give you practical biblical help um, that's really going to help you in those areas. We'll have talk at Overnotes for all those um, that you can pick up at the info table or online on the sermons page uh, where you can talk, talk it over with your small group or your family or with someone else uh, to dig a little bit deeper on those. Uh, I got those for you today as well. Today I just get to preach a standalone message I thought about titling it, I Asked For It, and uh, it's not connected to any series, um, but back in June, I met with uh, one of my preaching mentors, uh, Pastor Tom Holliday, and I asked him what he thought I should preach on my first weekend um, at Rockbrook, and uh, he said that, he gave me great advice, he said, you know, when I've got a preaching date coming up, I plan three or four messages, I rough them in, and then God makes it clear which one to preach, and so I did that, and God made it very clear. And so here we are today. Are you ready to get to work? Say yes. Yes. John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. So you know about Good Friday. You know about Easter. Good Friday is the Friday Jesus went to the cross and the, the crucifixion. This is the Thursday night before. And uh, they're going to have supper called the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he knew what was coming on Friday. He knew the hell that he was about to go through. He knew the crucifixion. He knew what his story would be on Friday. And you know, like, maybe the night before you're going to have a surgery or go away on a long trip or something. You have, you have the meal you want to have, and you do the things you want to do, and the family comes around and pats you on the back. And um, he did the opposite. He didn't do that. In fact, instead, he said, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he says, here's my opportunity to not only have love for my disciples and my followers, to not only feel love, but I'm going to show them 
how, um, how much I love them. And this Passover feast, it was a meal, it was at a table. The difference is the table would have been about three inches off the ground. And they would lie down to eat this meal. And um, we don't do that anymore because we got shoes and chairs, but... Um, and, and we have a table and everything, but that's why the Bible would say that, that they reclined at the table because they're going to lie down. And the problem is you, your feet are in someone else's face. So you got to have a foot washer to clean up all that dirt from wearing sandals and everything and all that stuff and, um, and clean that off. And they didn't have a foot washer. Someone forgot to have a foot washer there. And even the lowest of the servants didn't want to do it. Come on, nobody wants to get down with someone else's toe cheese and clean up feet for a meal. And so there's this kind of tension in the room of who's going to do this. And, uh, and they actually start, they kind of change the subject and they start politicking about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' cabinet because they thought Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom and rule and the disciples were going to be the cabinet of this guy's reign, and they start politicking about who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom and the greatest in the cabinet. And as they're talking about that, Jesus stands up, takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, scripture says, and he goes over and he picks up that foot washing bowl. (gasps) You could have heard it in the room. I mean, the guy you would at least expect to do it, especially with him knowing what's about to happen. And Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, you cannot do this to me. And Jesus says, if you don't let me do this to you, we're not even partners because this is what I'm all about. And he washes their feet and he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. He's saying, if, if this isn't below me, it's not below you. I have set you an example. So it's an example. It's an illustration It's not about washing feet. It's not about uh, the Passover meal necessarily. It's that Jesus is saying, this is how Christians act. This is what my followers do. I set to them an example. They follow it of serving others. And he unapologetically says, if you follow me, you do what I do. And I serve. And, And he could have just said, I'm Jesus Christ, God in a bod, I'm your boss, I'm your Lord, you serve, end of story. Could have said that. What I love about Jesus is that's not what he does. When he raises the standard, when he sets the bar, when he sets out an expectation, there's always, for some reason, in his goodness and in his grace, a benefit for us. And so he says what the benefit is, is that you should do as I have done for you, now that you know these things, you, would, you will be blessed if you do them. And that word blessed is very hard to translate from the word that he said. Because it means happy. But not happy like you're in a good mood happy. It's like the happiness that you are on a life search for. True happiness, true contentment, fulfillment, blessing, favor, peace, fulfillment, significance. And Jesus says, that's what you get if you're a servant. So if that's what you get if you're a servant, I want to be a servant because I want those things in my life. But how do, you, how do you become a servant? How do you follow this example? Well, 
we need to dig in just a little bit deeper here before we move on because I don't want to preach a whole message on the heart of a servant. And all of us have different definitions of what a servant is. The New Testament, in the New Testament, it uses the word serve or servant several times, but there's several different Greek words for the one word that's translated servant. And I want to give you just a few of them right now to, to paint a picture of this definition. And the first word is doulos. And if you'll write this in, it means bond servant. Bond servant. We see it in Mark 9, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. What is a bond servant? Well, in some translations, you would get the word slave there, but a slave in the Bible is most often more like an employee. But in those days, a lot of employees, they would have these slaves and they're slaves because they're paying off a debt. So um, I borrow money from you and one way I could pay it off is become your slave. I'll pay it off with my life. But there was a law that every seven years you had to cancel the debt so you couldn't exploit the person, have them be a slave for life. So they pay it off in seven years of being your slave. But a phenomenon happened where the person serving the employer, they fell in love with the employer. I love this. And they would say, boss, you've treated me so well. I've fallen in love with you and your family and how you treat me and I don't want to leave. And so they would stay on as a bond servant voluntarily by choice. They'd take the piercing of the ear and the mark and, and they'd say, you've treated me so well, I'm yours for life, and they would become a slave by choice. And what I love about that is it gives us a principle. And the principle is that they make a lifetime commitment. Write that in. A lifetime commitment. I give my life serving. I make a lifetime commitment. So the first thing we learn about the biblical view of servanthood, servanthood is that it's marked by a lifetime commitment. Second word I want to look at is diakonos. It's deacon, and that's where we get the English word deacon. A deacon is actually a servant, but in a unique way. Matthew 20 says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the best picture you can have to understand diakonos is it's like a waiter with a full section at a restaurant. And there's just so much going on and so much need that they don't even have time to focus on themselves. Because, okay, you need something refilled here. And we spilled something over here. And I got to get these people seated over here. And you're ready for your check. And, and there's so many things happening that you just don't even have time to focus on your needs. The principle is that you're focused on the needs of others. Write that in. Focused on the needs of others. So what are we supposed to do? We find an empty glass and we fill it. You find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. You say, oh man, helping you today? That wasn't in my plans. It wasn't in my job description. But I'm not focused on my needs. I'm focused on yours. And the third word is huperetis, and it means under rower. And this is actually Paul quoting Jesus so Paul is, is converted by Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him, and then Paul is telling the story to a king of how Jesus converted him, and he says, king, let me tell you what Jesus told me. He said, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant 
and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. What does this term under rower mean? Well, it's the person in the galley of the boat rowing the boat. You remember in Ben-Hur when he becomes the galley slave and he's underneath the boat and he's chained to the oars and he's, they're powering. The boat is man-powered, but you never see their face. They're anonymous. They're an under-rower. And what's the principle there? The principle is that we don't make our serve, our ministry about us. The principle is we make Jesus famous. The principle, write this in, is that we magnify Jesus, not me. And we used to have another term for the worship team here at Rockbrook. We'd also call them the magnification team. Because we come into worship and we make sure we magnify the right things. And in worship, we'd say, hey, don't, don't look that way. Don't put a magnifying glass on your, on your challenges, on your problems, on earthly things. Yes, come as you are, bring those into the house. But let's put a magnifying glass on the goodness of God. And it's not that we magnify him, that we make him bigger, or that we could make him any more famous. But it's that we shift our perspective. And that's what I love so much about our worship pastor, Chris Brown, and just his heart to have our perspective be in the right place. I mean, you could feel it. I mean, you could see it. I want to see you are good. You're never going to let me down. I mean, you could feel the atmosphere in the room. You could feel the perspective shift from us to God. I love that. We're going to magnify Jesus. And that is the magnification of Jesus. So let's, let's sum all this up. What does all this mean? Who is a servant? Well, a servant is someone who makes a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that magnifies Jesus, not me. That's the definition of a servant. That's what a servant does. And I need to teach you that this is what a servant looks like because I want you blessed. I want you to have significance. I want your life to have meaning and purpose. I want you to be truly happy. God wants you to be truly happy. But how do we make this statement true of us? Well, there's four decisions you have to make to get the heart of a servant, to get this to be true of you. Let's march through them. Number one is, first decision a servant makes is to put service over status. Jesus says, if you think you're the greatest, lower yourself and become the servant of all. I've had so many people in my life model this so well for me. I remember uh, the boss I had at a retail job for a while. He was the owner. Uh, but I mean, you would just catch him all the time doing these acts of service for the people who work for him. Uh, he'd pick people up when their cars were broken down. He'd fix stuff for them. He'd mentor them through classes and college courses and give them advice on life and stuff. And it wasn't a formal thing where he'd sit down and advise us. No, it was just, he's a servant. He was available. That's the kind of perspective he had. And I see that all the time in this church, putting people putting others first and putting service over status. And why is that so important? Because I'm really good at me and you're really good at you. And there's this gravitational pull that says the greatest need around me is the need in my life. And a servant says, no, the greatest need around me is the need in your life. And hello on the back end, that's how my need is going to get met when I serve yours. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
The best decision you can ever make in life is to see everyone else as above you. More important than you, have greater need than you, and above you. And you say, no, we're going to work on your project first because I value you above me. Go, merge on over. Merge on over, everybody. I value you above me. That's fine. You know the, the two lanes at McDonald's where it goes into one? Oh, man, that's like the biggest spot right there. Of who, who finished ordering first? And even though I ordered last, how can I get ahead of you? No, no, no. Go ahead. You go ahead. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We're going to be others-focused. In humility, value others above yourself. So to make a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that magnifies Jesus, not me, in whatever position you hold, you've got to value service over that status. Number two, a servant puts character over comfort. Character over comfort. And God is interested in your character. And having the heart of a servant is never convenient. It's never convenient. Now, how do you know if you have the heart of a servant, the character of a servant? Let's look at Mark 8 together, verse 34. Then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your own pleasures and shoulder your cross and follow me closely. If you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to what? Really live. He's getting back to the blessing, to the significance. If you want to live a real life, forget your life and focus on serving others. He's talking about the blessing. So if a servant puts character over comfort, how do you know if you have the character of a servant? How do you gauge that? How do I know if I have the character of a servant? By how I respond when I'm treated like one. You see, it's one thing to go the extra mile and to serve other people on your terms. That's wonderful. But it's a whole other thing when someone, you didn't do it, you didn't place them above you, they placed themselves above you. And they handed you the trash bag. Or they said, no, this is the way it is. How do you respond to that. What's your character when that happens? How do you respond when it pulls you out of your comfort zone, when it inconveniences you? A, service, a servant puts character over comfort. It puts service over status. And number three, a servant puts we over me. We over me. And this is the antidote to a thought that's out there and a saying that's out there. Here, you, you finish this thought. You say it out loud. If you want it done right, no, do it with a team. <laughs> Look at this, Acts 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There's a massive advantage of being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I, for one, am proud to be part of a group. I'm proud to be a part of a we. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this group. And you need to find yourself a we and invest in that we and get to know that we and pool your money with that we so you can do something bigger than you could ever do on your own. 
Now, I'm going to ask some questions here to you, but don't raise your hand. Don't talk back. Just, just play along here. How many of you had a chance in the last week and a half to find church, churches or a church in the Houston area or affected by the floods and give to them so that their pastors could continue to be paid, that they could go above and beyond meeting their neighborhoods and community, and they could keep their church. They wouldn't have to close the doors of their church just because it was underwater. How many of you had the opportunity in the last month to help families in Cass County that needed help? How many of you had the opportunity in the last month to give to organizations in your neighborhood, in your city, in your county that helped infants, helped young mothers, helped the hungry? How many of you lived out the biblical command to feed an orphan or care for a widow in the last month? And the answer is every single one of you. <laughs> that was fun. You thought I was going negative and condemning. Really, I'm just here to encourage you. You did that. Every single one of you did that. That is what our church did. That's how our church responds. How many of you had the opportunity to participate in someone's salvation recently? How many of you had the opportunity to participate in someone's baptism recently? Every single one of you. And you may never go to India. I hope you do one day. Really hope you do. You may never go there. But your giving goes there every week. And if you're kicking the tires trying to figure out if this is your church home, that's why I encourage you that this afternoon, Pastor Kelly's going to teach Church 101 in the growth track. And it's the... It's the membership class. And in a little over an hour, you'll hear everything you need to know to make a decision whether or not this is your we. And we're doing small group signups right now. And this semester, you could meet up with a we. And there's tons of different groups. They, some of them talk deeper on the sermon. Some of them have a specific uh, thing that they're going through, whether it's a financial class to pay off debt or some of them work out together and then they share scripture and encourage one another. Um, you may go through a CR step study. Lots of different options, but the goal of all of them is the same. It's to get together with a we and love one another and serve one another and do something greater than you could do yourself and spur each other on to be like Jesus. I think it's interesting the context in which Jesus gives us this example that he asks us to follow. When he washed the feet of the disciples, it's a Thursday night with his small group. <laughs> Where was the first communion? Weekday night, group of guys. Here's what I'm saying. God has designed for us to do Christianity together. And you know that, that's why you're here. But a decision a servant has to actively make is say, I'm going to value we over me. If I want it done right, it's not by myself. It's with a group that could do something bigger than I could ever do myself. And number four, a servant puts worship over wealth. A servant of God values worship over wealth. One of the greatest things I've learned from Rockbrook Church is the benefit that comes from being a servant of God who values worshiping God. 
Read 1 Peter 2, 9 out loud with me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love those three words. That you may. Would you circle those, those three words? That you may. That you may do what? That you may worship God now? That you may declare his praises? Okay, everybody look up here. I want you to notice what it does not say. It does not say that you should. It does not say that you ought to. It doesn't even say that you can. Because can feels a little entitled. But may feels so fortunate. And should feels burdensome but may that feels like such a joy and required that feels compliant but may feels so empowering that I may that we may that you may you may worship God now Yes, you may enter into this amazing relationship. You may now taste and see that the Lord is good. You may now see that he is never going to let you down. You may now serve him. You may now declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, when Jesus stooped down to wash those feet, everything changed for us. And we're now motivated by this single thought, I may. I may. You see, when Christianity and the church and the Christian life is predicated on should, when it's predicated on ought to, when it's predicated on required, we've missed it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You ought to serve him. It doesn't work. You didn't get it if you feel like you're required to offer your life as a living sacrifice and be a servant. You missed something. You need to back up and look at the story of Jesus and see him stooping down to serve you. I have to serve the Lord. I should serve the Lord. I'm required to serve the Lord. No, but you may. (laughs) We may. I may. Because after you really see Jesus serving, the question becomes, may I now please serve you? May I now please offer my life as a living sacrifice? Serving God is such a got to. It's not a get to. It's such a get to. It's not a got to. I printed out a phrase and, and hung it up in my office. It says, these are the get to days. Because the moment... I walk into that office and I see it as a have to, as a should, as a got to. I have looked over Jesus stooping down to serve me. I get get to serve God with my spiritual family today. I get to be a part of the body of Christ. It's all the benefit 
of serving the one who served us. I speak for every small group leader, every pastor on our staff, every team leader, every coach, when I say no one at this church wants you to feel like you have to do something. Everyone here wants you to know that Jesus loves you and he has served you and he is serving you. And when you came into church today, his goal was to serve you to get you to see something you couldn't have seen without him. And on the backside, you're going to serve him. Why wouldn't you? But you need to know that God is on a mission to do for you what no one else can do for you. And you're not going to serve him or worship him until you see that he served you, until you see that the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve. And before you ever chose to love God, he loved you. Before you ever chose to serve God, he served you. What do you mean, what do you mean he served me? Well, that's what I was thinking. And so I just wrote down some ways that Jesus has served you and that Jesus has served me. And it's just titled, Thank You, Jesus, for Serving Me. You served me by dreaming me up. You served me by spending time to craft and create me. You served me by wiring me with a unique gift. You served me when you carved out a course for my life. You realize that Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, took out divine time to think you up and speak you into being. You served me when you sprung into action when I rebelled against you. You served me by not turning away from me. You served me by never turning away from me. You served me by looking across the gap between me and you and saying yes to that gap. You served me when you came. You served me when you unpacked your glory for your trip to earth. You served me when you became a baby, when you packed divinity into humanity. And you served me when you were helpless and crying. You served me when you humbled yourself to the limitations of human man. You served me when you became one of the created. You served me every time you felt the tug of temptation but you resisted so that you could offer your life as a living, holy sacrifice, perfect in my place. You served me when you fought through misunderstanding. You served me when your own family didn't even understand what you were doing. You served me by living a misunderstood life. You served me by staying on course, by riding a donkey on that day into conflict, not away from conflict, by showing up at the right time, And even though you were pressed and agonized in the garden, you served me when you said yes to that cup. You served me when you let them take you into custody. You served me when you were falsely accused. You served me when you watched your best friends abandon and deny you. You served me when you washed the feet of the one who betrayed you. You served me when you watched a guilty man in Barabbas go free, when you let them condemn you. You served me when you took the whipping, when you took the nails, when you carried that cross, when you served me when all the forces of hell came against you and you could have called an angel army in to stop it and you didn't. You served me when the guilt and the shame of everything I've ever done wrong, plus every murder, every rape, every lie, every abortion, the, the, the sin and the shame and the guilt of all of it resting on your mind and your spirit. You served me when you hung there, forsaken by God. You served me when you offered a final payment. 
and you serve me when you somehow found the breath and the energy to cry out, it is finished. And you serve me when you tore the veil and you made a way for me to be close to you. And you served me when you got up out of that grave and you defeated hell and you defeated death and you served me when you endured to the end. You served me when you put your glory on display. You served me when you took your place at the right hand of God and started interceding for me. You served me when you gave me your word. You served me when you gave me a promise. You served me when you gave me your spirit. You served me when you gave me a life in Christ. And at the end of it all, would I offer up my life as a living and holy sacrifice for you? Yes, please. Would someone have to require that of me? Are you kidding? God, may I now please serve you. May I now please give you the glory. May I now declare your praises. A servant is one who makes a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that it magnifies Jesus, not me. It's the highest job in the kingdom. A servant doesn't get any greater. Lay out an org chart of the kingdom of God, servant, at the top. And you might get more responsibility, you might get more leadership, you might get a bigger role, you will never have a higher calling. You will never have a higher calling than servant because you are never more like the King of Kings than the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, than when you serve. The last words you hear on earth and the first word you're going to hear going into eternity is well done, good and faithful servant. It's the last word you hear. First word of forever. Servant. So I've never closed a sermon this way before, but I want us all to read a, a declaration together. It's just a couple slides long, and I want us to stand together and read this together as we go into worshiping our Lord and Savior. Worship team, you can come on up. But come on, let's draw a line in the sand today. Let's make a declaration together. If you believe what I preach today is true, read this out loud with me. Because God has called me to serve my generation, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, and God's purposes over possession, positions, popularity, and pleasure. Come on now. To my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I'm ready. Anytime, anywhere, I want to be used by you in such a way that on that final day, I'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and let the eternal party begin. God, we praise you. Thank you for serving us.